Hi, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here and that you swam on over in the rain. <laughs> so it's good. Um, I'm Jan Bishop, and I'm just I'm really happy to be able to uh, share with you what God has laid on my heart uh, to prepare for this. But I have to I have to share something with you first. So um, maybe Susan, you'll edit this part out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, when I was first asked to do this chapter, I um, I thought it was chapter 15. And so I, I looked at it, I was so excited, because that's the resurrection. And, you know, the whole gospel rests on chapter 15. And <coughs> so I opened, I, I actually I was talking with, with Pam, and we were counting the, the weeks out. It's like, oh, it's chapter 14. I looked at it. Okay, then, this, this is probably a topic I'm supposed to study. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's just go ahead and start. I'm going to start with a story. Um, a few years ago, I was leading a Bible study in Hellertown, and um, there was a gal that was new to the study, and her name was Kathy. And so, as was my custom, I invited her out for breakfast so, you know, we can get to know each other. And so we shared our faith journey. And uh, at one point, Kathy asked me, have you been baptized by the Spirit? Now, I understood what she was asking me because I knew that she was attending a church and she was involved in a charismatic movement. And so uh, I prayed right then and there on the spot, you know, God, give me words of clarity and love. So today we're talking about the sign gifts, the gifts of prophecy and tongues. What are they? Are they significant to us today? And why does Paul spend an entire chapter talking about this? Well, that's the focus for today. So let's start by reading the first couple of chapters in, or the first couple of verses in chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Well, let's just stop here and take a look at the context for this letter. Corinth was a thriving city. Um, it was commercially, politically, and philosophically uh, a high point in Greece. It also was a religious center with many temples to pagan gods, including the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. The worshipers there and in other temples practiced religious prostitution and other pagan rituals. The devotees of a god would drink and dance themselves into a frenzy until they went into a semi-consciousness, an experience that they considered the highest form of communication with the divine. The ecstatic speech that often accompanied such an experience was thought to be the language of the gods. The term Lelian Glossae, um, that Paul often uses in chapter 14 is the same term 
that was commonly used in his day to talk about pagan ecstatic speech. Indeed, many of the um, Christians in Corinth came out of this tradition. So um, much of the tongues speaking in the church of Corinth were these pagan ecstasies. Service, as you can imagine, was bedlam and chaos. Little worship, little edification of the church was taking place. And so Paul was asked to address this. This is his purpose in writing the letter. The letter is a letter of correction, and we've seen that throughout our study so far. Um, they, it has addressed divisions, immorality, litigation in pagan courts, abuse of the Lord's table, and yes, now even carnal practices in worship. This letter is written out of love. It's written from a pastor's heart. So let's look again at the opening verses of chapter 14. Verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts that you may prophesy. Okay, so against the backdrop of the previous chapter, chapter 13, the, the love chapter, Paul begins this chapter with pursue love. Whatever you do, Paul teaches, do it in love for one another. To build up one another, to edify. Think of an edifice, to edify one another. And the verse continues, they continue here. And as, as you hear these, listen to Paul contrast tongues to prophecy. One edifies self and the other edifies others in the church. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Now, the King James Version translates that for one who speaks in an unknown tongue. But he utters, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. A tongue. A tongue that no one understands. Paul notes that the Corinthians called attention to themselves with the gift of tongues to demonstrate their spirituality. I think that's probably what Kathy was asking me that day, if, if I have evidence of spirituality by being baptized by the Spirit, right? This, though, is self-edification. It's not building up the church or anyone else. It's not encouraging people. The unknown tongue does not refer to the tongues of Pentecost. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 to 8. Here Luke says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven came and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not these men Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Tongues versus a tongue. Let's look at the definitions. Tongues, speaking in tongues, is the spiritual gift which allows the speaker to speak and to be understood in a language known to the listener but not known to the speaker. It's like a reverse babble, isn't it? <laughs> a tongue unknown to men, or a tongue, is the word Lelian glossae that I talked about earlier. That's the word that he uses. It's utterances which do not have meaning to others. This unknown speech may be a spiritual gift for, of prayer with God. Or it may come from a counterfeit source. 1 Corinthians 11.10 tells us that we are called to distinguish the spirits, right? Meanwhile, Paul contrasts this to prophecy, which he says is the better gift because it edifies men, not self. Paul continues his teaching in verses 6 through 12. And he says in verse 6, How would speaking in tongues benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So Paul is saying, How would tongues benefit you unless you understand what I'm saying? Paul develops that argument with three examples. The first one is the flute or the harp. You need distinct notes in order to achieve music. Otherwise, it's just a cacophony, right? And then he talks about the bugle. Now, for a bugle to communicate to the soldiers, it has to have a certain distinct sound pattern. And different patterns tell the soldiers a different command. I didn't know that. And intelligible speech is what we need for it actual meaningful conversation, not just meaningless sounds. So, he says in verse 12, which another word for that is therefore. What is all of that therefore? So, therefore, with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This reflects back to the beginning of the chapter, which started with the two words, pursue love of one another. You know, Paul himself prayed in the Spirit. Um, he says, quote, with my spirit. And I sang praise with my spirit. That's verse 15. And then he adds that I would pray with my mind also and sing with my mind also. This would be the meaningful speech. Furthermore, in verse 19, he states that in church, he would rather speak with five words with my mind in order to instruct others rather than an unlimited number of words 
in a tongue. Um, he uses the term 10,000 words, but that, that means an un just uncountable number. Think about Jesus Christ and the prayers that we have recorded from him. Um, in Matthew, uh, we hear the Lord's Prayer. Those are meaningful words. Uh, we are privy to Jesus' great high priestly prayer in John 17. You know, I don't know how he was praying when he went up to the mountain to be alone with his father, but the ones we have recorded are meaningful for us. Paul develops the logic of his argument in verse 16, and he says, If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in any other in any position, any outsider, say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? The ability to, to say amen means that you understand what, what is being said. In verses 20 to 25, Paul refers to Isaiah 28.8. And I spent some time in there looking at that. Um, the, the quote is, foreign lips and strange tongues. They, it warned Israel of the judgment to come at the hands of the Assyrians. Judgment was coming. But Israel didn't listen. Thus, Paul says, Tongues are a sign for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for believers. We're talking about sign gifts. Sign points to what's coming. Okay, so they were warned of the Assyrians coming. They didn't listen. Um, the sign gifts, many scholars believe, um, were assigned to the unbelieving Jews. A sign of cursing, a sign of blessing, a sign of authority. And once uh, Jerusalem fell in AD 70, um, it wasn't just the unbelieving Jews, but it expanded to the Gentiles as well. And that's why many believe that sign gifts um, have passed. Uh, the rest of the chapter, verses 26 to 40, now we're talking about instructions for the orderly practice of, um, of the sign gifts in church. That's what the problem was. There was total disorder and chaos uh, in, in worship services. So now he's going to give instruction. All right, so this is how you would exercise these gifts. He said the speaker should always have an interpreter. That way it is meaningful speech. Or else may remain silent. One person at a time. Can you imagine? Now just picture what was going on in, in the Corinthian church. All right, so he's, he's putting this in order, and no more than three during a service. So like, just let's rein this back. Um, and so these are corrections for fitting and orderly worship. He says in verse 32, so that all can learn and be encouraged. He even has special comments for women. Did you notice that? All right, now, here, this is not a teaching of the role of women in church. It's not. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.5, Paul talks about how a woman should pray and prophesy in church you know, with her head covered. So this, this participation in church is assumed. What the problem was is this disruptive, chaotic um, display and so um, you can just imagine how disruptive the Corinthian women must have been, right? So he says, just cool it, ladies. <laughs> okay. Well, now let's just stop here and consider 
this idea of a sign, sign the sign gifts. All right, a sign points the way. If you're driving somewhere and you have a sign, it points the way, tells you how far. So let's say you hop on 78 and you want to go to Harrisburg. The sign here at Easton would say Harrisburg, what, 90 miles, whatever. And so you're tooling along down the road and then you get to Cabela's and Cabela's will say, the sign will say 60 miles to Harrisburg. And you keep moving down the highway and eventually you pass Harrisburg. No more signs. Because you have completed the trip to Harrisburg, you passed Harrisburg, and so the signs for Harrisburg cease. In like manner, many theologians believe that the sign gifts ceased to exist with the completion of the Word of God, the Scriptures, and with the passing of the Apostolic Age. The gift of tongues allowed the apostles of the early church to carry out God's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew. However, we know some church traditions believe that the sign gifts do remain active today. And they even point to this particular passage of scripture uh, as evidence. <clears throat> Still, others believe that the uh, sign gifts, particularly dreams and visions, manifest today in worlds um, that the gospel has not yet penetrated. And so this is a way that missionaries um, can break into the tribal nations. Paul, however, knows that the sign gifts are temporary. Take a look back in, in chapter 13, verse 8. He says, where there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. When the perfection comes, the imperfect will pass away. Now, Scripture isn't really clear regarding what they're talking about, the perfect. Perfect means complete. Um, and they also, it is not specifically um, revealed to us when these gifts passed away or when they will pass away. And frankly, it's beyond my pay grade to be able to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. But that's why that day in the diner, when Kathy asked me if I had been baptized by the Spirit, I focused on what I do know. I know that Jesus says that my Father in heaven gives the Spirit to whoever asks him. That's Luke eleven thirteen, And I know that when I asked Jesus to be my Savior and I invited him into my heart, he saved me and I was born again. And from that point on, his spirit has lived inside of me. It's as though a veil has been lifted and I can read and understand scripture now, whereas I really couldn't before. His very presence fills me and guides me in all the areas of my life. So in closing, 1 Corinthians 14 is not just simply dusty history and old doctrine. It's alive. It has to be. All scripture is alive. Uh, 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So what's the application here? I would submit to you that the very problems that Paul was addressing are present in our church today and in our own hearts. Immaturity, instability, divisions, jealousy, envy, sexual immorality, and yes, even the misuse of spiritual gifts. We need to examine ourselves as we use the gifts that God has given us. Each one of us is gifted. And where is our heart when we use them? Is it inward or is it outward and upward? That's fine. Do we use our gifts in a way that edifies ourselves, Or <clears throat> do we use them to edify others and the church in love? Think about it that way. And chapter 14 is really a sobering message, isn't it? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this particular passage of Scripture. And I thank you for um, allowing us to apply it, um, the lessons of the early church to apply it even today. It is alive, God. I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves and I thank you for the way that you have gifted each one of us. But Lord, Father, I pray that, that our um, attitude and our focus would be on you. Solo Deo Gloria. To God alone is the glory. And I do pray, Father, that um, we would reach out to edify others in love um, and in gratitude. And in so doing, Lord, may we glorify you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>